So this evening, I would like to look a little at what is at the heart of Buddhist meditation and also to look at some of the qualities that are considered essential on the Zen path. But first, at the heart of Buddhist meditation, I feel that there is these two elements, which actually, that's what we are cultivating when we're sitting here, when we're walking, when we're meditating, and which are concentration and inquiry. They're also known as samatha and vipassana. And because of the word vipassana, people generally think that samatha and vipassana only exist in the vipassana tradition. But actually it is not so. And I think that's why it is at the heart of any Buddhist meditation. That is, the fact that we concentrate and also the fact that we inquire. And actually these two elements you will find in all Buddhist meditation. That it be Tibetan, that it be Theravada, that it be Zen. My teacher often used to say, you know, that we had to be very, very quiet and also very bright and that we had to always balance the two together. And what he was basically saying is that we had to concentrate and we had to inquire in such a way that these two elements were in balance. And I think this is very important that we see that when we meditate, often I have the feeling that when we meditate, we're not so much thinking at what we are doing, but more hoping towards what we want to get. And generally, when we sit in meditation, I think we want to be enlightened, or at least we want to be extremely peaceful, or have no thoughts, or whatever it is we hope for. And so often, I feel we're kind of a, a little ahead of ourselves when we sit. We're actually more focused on what we hope for than actually what we are doing, which to me, the point is what we are doing. And what we are doing actually is very important and it's also very effective. And that's why, in a way, we do meditation. Because to cultivate concentration and inquiry is effective. And that's why people have been doing meditation for 2,500 years. <laughs> and what is interesting, and people often will tell me, but lots of people are meditating but not many are enlightened. That I will talk more about another day. But this, I think, to me is very interesting. That actually, I think that the point is not so much some mythic enlightenment awakening than the fact that we sit or we walk and we concentrate and we inquire. That really is what is at the root. And, in a way, we find this in different ways, in different traditions. We have the same, in a way, element, but which then are cultivated, practiced, and sort of in different ways. For example, in the Tibetan tradition, as Stephen mentioned, about the meditation on death. The concentration there is on the theme of death. For 30 minutes, that's all you think about. That's what you focus on. And the inquiry is that you think about it in a very different way, which will lead you to think about yourself, to experience yourself in a different way. 
In the Theravada tradition, as Stephen was pointing out, you focus on the breath, and at the same time, you look deeply into the breath. So again, you do these two things together. In the Rinzai Zen tradition, as I will introduce it tomorrow, we will question, what is this? And again, you concentrate on this question, and at the same time, you question it. You don't just repeat it. So again, you have the two elements, concentration and inquiry. And why these two elements? Because actually, organically, they really have an effect. Because when we concentrate, we actually do two things. We focus on something, for example, the breath, and at the same time, we come back to the focus. And I think it's very important. Often we think concentration is just being focused. And so a lot of the time, people feel very disheartened because actually you're not that focused a lot of the time. I would say maybe you are more unfocused than focused. Lost in thoughts and feelings, etc. But what, in a way, you need to have a focus in order to be able to come back to it. This is a point. The idea is not to be on the breath and force yourself to be with the breath. But the point is that you come back to the breath repeatedly. And that is, in a way, the gift of the focus. You focus and it helps you to come back and to come back. And so through doing these two things, focusing and coming back, two things actually happen together. One is by focusing on the breath. And it's very little. I mean, you would wonder, well, why is it effective to focus on the breath? It's actually by focusing on the breath in a certain way, you actually, it enables you to be in the moment in a very different way. Instead of fighting with the moment, we actually accept the moment. And I think this is one of the key of concentration, is the fact that it helps you to accept the moment as it is. And as soon as you focus on the breath, actually you at the same time have a wide open awareness. So it's not a narrow focus, it's a stable focus so that you're totally wide open. And at the same time, as I would suggest, notice, as long as you're focused on the breath, aware of the breath, I would suggest that at the same time, actually you're aware of your thought, of your feeling, of the sound, everything, but in a very soft way. You don't catch anything. You're in this kind of wide awareness where everything happens without you having to do anything for it to happen. You don't grasp at it, you don't describe it, you don't comment it, you don't push it away. You're just there. And that's what is interesting with the focus. Is that it helps us to accept and be in the moment in a very different way. And then, by coming back again and again to the focus, and that's what is so important, it doesn't matter that you go away a thousand times in your thought, in your feeling, whatever it is. 
Because a thousand times you can come back to the breath. And that's what is important. The fact that you come back. And by doing that, you are weakening your habits. Because what in a way catches us, what kind of holds us, what limits us, is our habits. We have all these, what I would call, painful, destructive, obstructive, limiting habits, certain way of thinking, of feeling, of sensing, which actually quite limit us because we kind of get caught in them and in a way obstructed into them. We kind of get caught in our thought. And notice, as soon as you're caught in a thought, actually you're not here. You're not fully present with your body and mind. You kind of gone in this thought. You kind of actually gone into abstraction. Even if you're caught in a feeling which is quite organic, if you're caught in it, actually you reduce yourself to it and you're not aware of anything else. And so this is a thing. By coming back again and again, we weaken our habits. And then they can come back to more creative functioning. And so because these two things happen... We have this kind of, by the focusing, spaciousness is created. Instead of reducing ourselves to any of the elements in our experience, we actually can sit here and be with all these elements in a different way, with this spaciousness. And by not being caught in the habits, actually we are more calm, we are more still. And also, I would say, we are more stable. Because often what destabilizes us, what is it? You know, we feel quite okay, we feel quite stable, and then we kind of gone. We feel like we're a little off-center. And generally, because we've gone into a pattern, into a habit, and that kind of, in a way, destabilizes us. And so I would say, to weaken those destabilizing habits actually give us stability. I think this is one of the things of meditation, is to kind of becoming more and more stable, kind of having this kind of ground within ourselves so we kind of become less shakable. We can still be, you know, we can still have pain and things like this, but we're less shaken by what we encounter. And I think at that level, I don't know, you might already have experienced it today. I feel it myself. That just by the sitting, the walking, the being in silence, I feel by now, I feel more, again, more stable, more grounded. And I think this is part of the training of being on retreat, is this kind of, kind of cultivating this stability. And so this is concentration. And I think that's why we do it, this focusing and this coming back leading to this calmness, this stability. And then there is inquiry. And this is also an important element. And the inquiry is looking deeply into the experience and also questioning it. And so in a way what you do with that is that you, you focus and then you go inside the moment. You penetrate the moment, but in a questioning way. Because often I think, yes, we are focused. But often we, I would say we are focused in a negative way. 
you know, when you feel bad about yourself or when you judge yourself or you kind of plot revenge on somebody, you're totally focused either on how bad you are or either on how bad that person is. You're very focused. But you focus without any questioning. You kind of just go with this, yeah, 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 they're terrible, I'm going to get them, or I am terrible, you know, this is awful. But this is why this element is so important. And this is, in a way, the transformative element of meditation. This inquiry, this questioning is like, in a way, entering the moment with a certain freshness, a certain kind of, yeah, what is this all about? What is going on? And I would say this helps you to creatively encounter whatever is in the experience. I think this is an important point. So that in a way this helps you to be in the moment with more clarity, also more openness. Because you see, if you're more open to the moment, if you're more questioning, then I think there is more possibility for creativity instead of again being stuck in the habit. I like it when somebody says, I am like this. I am not going to change. I am an angry person. I mean, fair enough, you could be an angry person. I have a tendency to be angry. But I do not say I am an angry person because I am not angry all the time and my anger has really improved with meditation over time. So in a way, it's to see the inquiry is questioning what is going on? How is it it's going on? It is really to penetrate into the moment again in the fullness of it instead of being restricted and kind of, you know, kind of, kind of reduced to, again, a certain portion of it. And in that moment, possibly nothing is happening. And I would say, when you sit in meditation, most of the time, nothing is happening. And personally, I would say, this is great. But a lot of the time, people would say, this is boring. Why is it boring? I mean, you're sitting here. As far as I know, you are not terribly ill. You are not hopefully too uncomfortable. You are relatively warm, maybe too warm at times, I don't know. But you're okay. And it's great nothing is happening. Because sometimes too much is happening. And so in a way, the inquiry, I think, makes us open to, as Stephen said, the preciousness of the moment in a very vivid way. Like, isn't it amazing? You know, like, I've just read this book about uh, the universe and all the various explanations of the universe and how we came to here. And as Stephen would say, and might say it later, you know, we have this, bi- this million of years of evolution, you know, from all these kind of, you know, homo sapiens and homo... I believe, or whatever, I mean, all these kind of things, to arrive at us and to be bored by it. I mean, <laughs> I think of all, you know, they did to make us be here today. And we bored. I mean, really, they worked so hard. Even if they did not intend to. 
So in a way, to, be, to notice that, to kind of look a little like boredom, because often that's what people say, nothing is happening in meditation. But I think, yes, this is, you know, you just focus, you inquire. What else to do? And it's not, you know, very special in some way. And so in a way, when we cultivate this concentration and this inquiry together, then actually we develop this, what I would call a creative awareness, a certain type of mindfulness, which is very present. As I said before, it is a kind, not judgmental, but also insightful awareness. Which, and what is interesting nowadays is that this is kind of starting to be recognized what we're doing now as being very useful for various kind of, in a way, certain type of illness, like depression, like uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder or addiction. And why can it help? Of course, one can also take drugs, which combined can be very helpful. But why is it helpful? It's because, again, all these, that it be depression, addiction, or obsessive-compulsive behavior is about, in a way, very deep patterning. And to me, meditation is about seeing the patterning and dissolving the power of the patterning so that we can be more creatively with what is going on. In one system of mindfulness and depression, they have this tool. One of the tools they give to the people is called the three-minute breathing. And what the people are supposed to do at many different moments in the day, is first to stop. And it's very much what we do in meditation. We stop. And then to ask themselves in the moment, but what is going on now? Again, inquiry. What is happening? In a way, to break the kind of the cycle of the habit. Then to just watch the breath. To bring the calmness, the stillness. And then to expand the breath to the whole body and to the whole experience. And again, I think it's going from being caught in the habit to then opening. So this questioning, this focusing on the breath, then to the multidimensionality of the moment. And that's what we're doing in meditation. Again and again, we're kind of getting caught in a thought, in a feeling, in a sensation, and then we come back to the breath, to inquiry and come back to the whole moment. And then there is more creativity. There is more, in a way, power. There is more potential in that moment. And so, in a way, that's why we're doing what we are doing. We're cultivating these two important elements together. Then there is this three quality in Zen that we encourage to develop when we practice Zen. And this is called great faith, great courage, and great questioning. And great faith, I think, is very important. Because, in a way, it's faith in our power, in our potential. And often I think that you come on a retreat, I would say, because you have a great faith. Because otherwise you would go on holiday <coughs> in Mallorca. But you have great faith. Why, you know, why do we do what we do? Because we have great faith in ourselves, but also in our potential and in the practice. That this works. This is efficient. This helps us to accept ourselves and also to transform 
our destructive, painful habits. And I think that's why faith is so important. That we're not just doing this because we have nothing better to do. I think we do this. I think each time you sit in meditation, actually this is an act of faith in yourself, in your humanity, in your potential. And in a way to remember that. Because I think at times, in a way when we do meditation, I think sometimes it can be a little abstract. I do meditation because it's going to be good for me or I was told it's a good idea or whatever. I mean, meditation at the moment is quite popular. I mean, I'm amazed. In a lot of the advertisement nowadays, you'll see people trying to sit in meditation. I always look at the posture. It's kind of a little <laughs> funny. You know, you see this beautiful model and they kind of have to sit. You know, and they kind of, it's a little weird posture sometimes. But it's kind of, again, this image. You know, there is this image that meditation is good, it will help you. But I think there is a difference between, in a way, the idea of it, the belief in it, and the experience of it. Because I think this is the, the challenge of meditation, that nobody can do it for us. And that's why we do, you know, all day we sit and we walk, and you've been very good today sitting and walking. <laughs> but because, in a way, nobody can do it for you. And nobody can do it for me. So that's why I sit with you, too. And what I thought was beautiful with my teacher, Master Cousin, who was reputed to have had three awakenings. I mean, one could be enough, but he had three. To the last day of his life, he sat in meditation. We would be in train, in plane, anywhere he would sit. And one day, he called me when I was in Korea as a nun, he called me. He said, come and bring the camera. I said, okay. I bring the camera, because I used to take pictures. And he said, you know, at night, I sit. But I sit with a certain night clock, like kind of a big black kind of clock. Kind of. And he wanted to see what it looked like in it. So I had to take a picture in, it in the daytime of him in the clock which showed me that at night too you would kind of sit quite a lot. And so in a way, there is no point where we stop the meditation, where we stop the walking, because it's a training. It's having this great faith in our potential. That actually our potential can always develop. But sometimes I think faith is also very important when things are difficult. And once I was in Switzerland on holiday with Stephen, and we were in a chalet, and it's Switzerland, it's beautiful, of course, but the whole time we were in the fog. We could not see anything. <laughs> not one, you know, you could not see. It was really foggy, totally foggy. But if we walked 100 meters, it was bright sunshine. And to me, this was like faith. Because I thought, you know, when I was in the sun, the sun was so obvious. But when I was in the fog, I could not see the sun whatsoever, but knew it was not so far away. And I think it's the same. When we have difficulty when we meditate, faith is saying, yes, it's difficult now, but it's not going to be difficult all the time. That too will pass. The sun is behind the dark cloud. Even if I don't see it at the moment, my potential is still there. 
And I think it's very important to remember that. that the, even when the clouds are very dark, the sun is behind the clouds. Then there is great courage. And I think actually this is a thing with meditation, that we often have this image that it's going to be very nice and very peaceful and really relax us. And I am not sure if you have found it relaxed you today, but what you might have found is that it was actually hard work. And this is something they said a lot in Korea. Our teacher would always ask us, Sugo Hamnika, Sugo Aseo. It was asking, are you working hard? Because for him, meditation was hard work. And it is hard work, sitting, even having the posture, having the back straight. This is hard work. And in a way, and so I think it's very important to not assume that meditation is just about, you know, sitting there and kind of, you know, hoping something will happen. But actually, we need great courage. We really need, you know, to do it. And it is not always easy. So in a way, courage gives us energy, determination, and also feed our intention. And I remember in Korea, we used to sit three months, ten hours a day. So the schedule was, let's say, a little harder than here. We got up at three in the morning, we went to bed at nine or ten, and we sat 50 minutes, and we walked ten minutes. And we did this ten times through the day. And what was interesting is that the first two weeks were really difficult. It was kind of, it was really painful. The first two weeks, really painful. And then the last, next two, next two months were fantastic. You sat there and thought, that's the only thing I ever want to do in my life, is to meditate. And then the last two weeks, again, restless, ready to go. And I think it's a bit the same on a seven-day retreat, then it's more like the first two days, then the next three, four, and then the last day is a little restless again. And so I think, in a way, of course, at time it will be difficult. And that's why we need to have this courage. And I remember for myself the hardest was the last sitting. That's why we kind of kind, maybe too kind. You just have one sitting, last sitting in the day, 8.30 to 9. But in Korea, we had two sitting, from 7 to 7.50, 10 minutes walking, and then there was a last sit, another 50 minutes. And it was so painful. Most days, it was so painful. I was sitting, oh, oh. (laughs) But actually, I was always pleased to do it. This is the thing. This is what courage is about. It's not easy all the time. And this last sitting was generally difficult for me. But at the end of it, I felt, yes, I did it again. (laughs) (laughs) And so in a way, I think courage is also going a little beyond our habits. That we have certain habits, mental, physical habits, especially of comfort. And often we think, I really can't do this. And actually a lot of the time we can do it. It doesn't mean that, you know, if it's really painful, of course, sit on a chair. If you have a really a great ailment, of course, go and lie down. But generally, we can go a little beyond. And I know for myself, for 10 years, 
I was able to do every time this last sitting, even if it was not so easy. And also, often, there was great insight in that last sitting, because I, I really kind of asked of me more and more courage. And then something would come up, and I would see something I had never seen before. So again, to see the courage is to really push us. And also the courage is to be careful of not forecasting. Because often what we do, and I think that's why this emphasis in Buddhism on impermanence, is that we forecast. You sit here, and you have a terrible meditation, and you forecast that all the meditation for the next whole day is going to be terrible, the next seven days is going to be terrible. Actually, it's going to increase. If it's that bad today, then it's going, we, can, we not only forecast, but also multiply. And so then we think, oh, I can never do this. And that I think we have to be very careful of this projecting into the future. Because that was my experience in Korea. Every evening it was difficult, and every morning it was okay. Because I slept, I relaxed, and... And it's just because, you know, of doing it ten times a day, then it was a little painful at the end of the day. And possibly for you, the most difficult might be at the end of the afternoon. The fourth sit might be just... There you have to have a little more courage, because it's a little more difficult. But then in the morning, it is easier. So again, to see that it changed over the day, things change. And this is, I think, is very important to notice. And so in a way, when you're sitting in meditation, when you're walking, try to sit one breath at a time, one sitting at a time. You never know how your next sitting is going to be. That, I think, is very important. The courage is to be in the moment, to be open to this moment. And then the next moment, you'll see. And you also have the faith that, yes, I can deal with the next moment. And then there is questioning, great questioning. And what I think is important to see that great faith goes with great questioning. So great faith gives us stability, gives us power. And great questioning, I think, is to open the faith, is to kind of bring more vividness. I think this is very important. And I would say, actually, that when you sit in meditation, I would say you are questioning in that moment. Because at a certain level, we're going against what generally the modern life is telling us, that we must be busy, we must be active, we must be do five things at one go, we must be answering the phone, watching TV, listening to music, and possibly also checking the email. Don't know if that's possible. But we generally are very busy doing all kinds of things. And actually, here, we're stopping. And to me, this is questioning. Just to sit here, to walk here, to be here, is to question a certain kind of tendency in modern life. And I think to appreciate that, that actually already sitting here, we're already cultivating great questioning. And also in this great questioning, I think there is this questioning of our automatism, of the society of automatism. The fact that we often go on automatic pilot, and we're very, in a way, 
the society and ourselves, we kind of toward this egoism, toward this consuming, and all this kind of thing, which actually goes, you know, a little against the three training of ethics, meditation, and wisdom. And I think when we try, like on a retreat, to be ethical, to meditate, to cultivate wisdom, I think we're questioning certain kind of thing that has you are so essential in our modern life. And I can experience this again and again in France, which they have kind of they have an interesting relationship with ethics there. And the last time this happened is I Stephen Moser was ill, so he could not take a certain uh, flight. And so I got an uh, insurance for that. And so I asked them, you know, to reimburse me for that flight. And actually they reimbursed me double. Which, you know, it's already hard to get money from an insurance, but then they gave me the double fee. And so I, then I phoned them and said, you made a mistake, you gave me too much, how can I give it back to you? And she said, really, you want to do this? <laughs> She kind of thought I was kind of weird to even kind of, you know, nobody else would do it. You know, this is the first time ever somebody has kind of, you know, wanted to give money back to an insurance. I said, no, no. And she was so, finally I had to say, I'm a Buddhist, I can't do this. (laughs) But she was kind of like, so, you know, why do you want to do this? This is going to create trouble or something. But I could see how actually, in a way, I was questioning a certain kind of tendency people have to view this kind of, you know, insurance company and then, too, it was kind of quite interesting. So I think, in a way, great questioning. I think what we're doing here is very much this great questioning. Questioning. And kind of, you know, following certain values. But also great questioning in terms of looking in the experience and in terms of impermanence. And why do we talk so much about impermanence, about changing? It's because, in a way, when we sit on retreat, I feel this is what we can really experience. And instead of saying, I am not having a good meditation, or it should be this way or that way, I would say just notice how things change. Of course you might be obsessed by a certain thought, but notice how the obsession itself changes. One minute you're obsessed by this, next minute by that, next minute by something else. Even you can't. You know, just stay on one thing. Or if we have a certain feeling, thought, a sensation, a, a sound. Today there was all these weird sound over there. I don't know what it is. I could not interpret them. Was it kind of guns? Was it kind of work? Don't know. Boom! You know. But they come, they go. And the tendency is to think, ah, they're going to be this sound all the time. And I won't be able to meditate. When actually, I would say, this sound is wonderful. It's a bell of awareness. Because every time you're gone, the sound, whatever sound it is, good sound, bad sound, it will bring you back. So in a way, to see that actually, when we sit in meditation, to notice the changing nature. Your feeling change, however acute they are, they change. The thought change, the sensation, even pain in the knee, that too change. Just to notice the changing nature. And this is part of the great questioning. To really look deeply into the experience. 
And notice how everything is changing. Which means that, in a way, the good thing change, but the bad thing too, they will change. And so in a way, when you are happy, joyful like this, to really be with it fully, because it's precious, because it's going to go. When there is suffering, to know, ah, this is the way it is now. But it can change. And to me, this is very much what this great questioning is about, is this creative encounter with each moment. Instead of fixing the moment, in a way, questioning the moment in such a way that it opens up and we can be in it in a different manner. Then there is another thing often that is mentioned in Buddhism is unreliability. Because things are changing. You could say nothing is reliable. It doesn't mean that things cannot continue over time. Like tomorrow morning, very likely, I will be relatively similar. I don't think that tomorrow morning there will be an elephant instead of me. (laughs) Evolution has not gone that way. So I will be relatively similar. I could be a little more tired, I could be a little brighter, but I will be relatively the same. So in a way, change doesn't mean that everything changed totally all the time. But it means that things have the possibility of changing. This is the thing. And are we going to flow with them or are we going to fight them? And I think that's what unreliability is about, is to accept that things will change, that things are reliable. Sometimes you can depend on your body, sometimes you cannot depend on your body. Sometimes it's, you might feel you know, more tired or more bright, sometimes you can depend on your mind, sometimes you cannot. Sometimes you can depend on your feeling, sometimes you cannot. And so the thing is in a way to creatively encounter, the great questioning is about creatively encountering that unreliability. To kind of, how can I be with this? Instead of trying to fix everything so that things are going to be permanent. This is a thing. And I think this is the same with this idea. Sometimes we have in meditation to try to obtain a permanent state of bliss, of equanimity, of whatever it is we aspire to. But it is not possible. If you're a Buddhist, you cannot have a permanent state of anything because that too is impermanent. It doesn't mean that you can have a relatively remaining stability and openness, but that too changes. So I think it's very important that we're not trying to create a permanent state of anything, but we're trying to creatively encounter whatever state will happen at any given moment. I think this is very important to see that, and that's why in a way the Buddha talks about the suffering, also to question the suffering, so to be with the suffering in a way where we don't kind of, uh, you know, it makes us tighter around it, but try to open, to be stable and open. If we have pain in the body, if we have pain in the mind, if we have pain in our feeling, how we, can we be differently with it? 
How can we be stable and open with it? This is also part of the great questioning. To not deny our thought, feeling, or sensation, but to go into them in a more spacious way. How can we be with whatever arises at any given moment? Because I think generally what we do is to distract ourselves. We distract ourselves. We occupy ourselves. And in a way here, sitting in meditation, unless you start to daydream, which is one of the favorite activities of meditation, it passes the time very nicely. Though I don't think it's very much about awareness or mindfulness. If you don't do this, then yes, you cannot really distract yourself. You cannot really occupy yourself. And I would say this is a challenge of the meditation. To actually just sit here <coughs> and focus and concentrate and inquire. And in a way, just do that. And sometimes it might go well, sometimes not. But in a way, not distract ourselves or not try to do something else, but just do this. To me, this is the key of these two elements. That's what we're trying to do in meditation. You know, we just do the job. Just kind of, you know, do the job as it is. And then let it take care of itself. This, I think, is very important. We're not trying to achieve a certain something. We're just cultivating a process of concentration, of inquiry, of stability, of <coughs> openness. And I think I'll finish here. Is there any question or comments? So at the end of each talk, we will generally, or at least for me, you know, there'll be a little time if you have questions or comments or something that comes to mind. Yes? Can coming back to the moment, can it become also a pattern or, an, or a habit? So when you sit with friends, you suddenly come back to your breath and to the body, and then you're a bit detached from the event or when you see football and then itself. So you chant and then you stop and then you come back to the breath and then you touched a bit from the event. Yes and no. It depends how you use it. You see, I think, yes. Personally, I would say, the way I, view, I would view uh, the awareness we're trying to, to develop, I would see it at this focused and wide open awareness. And I would say there is a spectrum of being very focalized on a kind of a small area and having an awareness which is wide open. And I think when we meditate, there is different types of meditation which are either very focalized or very open and sometimes some more in the middle. So even in meditation, I think we have this movement from being very focused to being very wide open awareness. And I think it is the same when we are in daily life. We can have a very focalized awareness or we can have a very open awareness. And so I think, in a way, this is a thing. I would say that you know, if you are with friends, there is a difference to being with friends and in a way being caught in what is being said and the excitement or whatever it is. And being 
in a way aware of yourself within this environment, within the friend, in a way which is stable and open, so that you don't feel separate from what is going on, but at the same time you are not caught in the way you might have been before. So I don't know if that's what you're talking about. For me, this was not this would not be so much detachment as being kind of in the moment more in this multidimensionality. I would say yes, it brings this stability, this openness. That's more the way I would characterize it. You're stable and open in the moment. But then there is a question, do you focalize on what the person say? But again, how do you focalize? How do you listen to somebody? Do you listen to the person in such a way you're caught by what they said? Or you listen and there is again this openness? Or, or is it your experience that you watch football and then you... This, yeah, of course it comes from, from personal experience that sometimes with friends or in, on other, other occasions there is a sense because things are more stable and grounded and um, it's the sense of being lost in the experience is getting lost <laughs> well then this is a choice you know <laughs> if you want to be, I mean if you want to to be lost in the experience in a way you know what to do <laughs> but yes no there is this awareness and there is sometimes yes it's true that maybe what you describe is sometimes there is this awareness of like there is an observer you know, like there seems to be somebody out there observing it. And so it's kind of look a little strange. But to me, this being able to observe, but in this stable and open manner, to me makes me more aware of everything. So that I can notice if somebody is a bit ill or is unwell, I can notice, so I can be not just caught by one element of the moment, but I can be more attuned to the whole thing. The same thing as when you watch the football. Yes, I mean, you can, if you want to get caught in it, but at the same time, you know, I don't know if there are great football fans here, but what is a football match? But I know if uh, one can get really caught in it. But it's interesting to look at this, you know, to just, you know, look at it. When is it that you're really, as you say, lost in it? And then to notice I mean, does it make feel better? Does it make me feel more skillful, more insightful, more wise, more compassionate to do that? If it does, there is no problem. You see, to me, this is the thing. This is not the thing in itself. Does stability and openness makes me more responsive? Being lost in the thing, does it make me more reactive? This is for you to look, to find out. But it's true, we will feel a little different than we used to feel, Definitely. Definitely. It, it, I mean, it has an effect at that level. But I think one has to see maybe one seems to lose something in a way, but one might be also gaining something in another way. But check it out for yourself. Anything else? If not, thank you very much. And so now there is 30 minutes of walking meditation. And again, this is a free walking period. So if you want to walk inside, you can do so. Otherwise, you can walk outside. And because it's a free walking, then again, 
it won't be so ordered, but this is fine. You know? And everybody comes in when they come in. Because toward uh, 8.25, we'll just kind of come here and maybe some people will be walking, we can walk together. And then just before the sitting, we'll do again the three bath. See you in half an hour.